Good morning. This is Kevin Payne, pastor at First Baptist Church in Independence, Missouri. Welcome to our podcast. What you're about to hear is a portion of our worship services that began last Sunday morning at 1030. Every week we gather and sing praises to the living God and hear teachings from His Word found in Scripture. We hope you enjoy the message. If you'd like to hear more, there are more here on the podcast, or you could come and worship with us. Our Bible studies begin at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and our worship begins at 10.30. We're located in Independence, Missouri, 500 Westerman Road. Why don't you come and worship with us? Good morning. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we do love you. We worship and adore you. We place you at the center of our lives. Be with us today. Hear our songs of praise. Feed us in worship. Help us each day. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Bibles with me this morning, if you would, in your New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, last in the series, Old Time Religion, if you could go back and talk to someone from the Old Time Religion, meaning Christianity from another era. They would talk about the return of Jesus. 
You know, we say sometimes Maranatha, our Lord come, and things like that. So today we're going to talk about that. That's very much a part of old-time faith. It's something that Christians have talked about since the beginning of time as Christians in the church. And they looked towards the end. They didn't always have a clear idea of what the end would be like. And they surely didn't have an idea of when the time would be like. But Christians for centuries have been looking towards the return of Jesus. So we're going to talk about that today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As always we pray. I guess we should give up a word of thanks because the Chiefs won, right? It seems like so long ago, doesn't it? That was just one week ago. It seemed like almost a whole season. But we're thankful, of course, and uh, that's just a good thing. And did anybody here go to the parade? Anybody? There's a, f a few. I watched, it on I watched a bit of it on TV, thank you. <laughs> and um, my friends that went said it was colder than you can imagine, and they were cold and uh, all those kinds of things. And, you know, I, I didn't want to do anything with a million people. I can't think of anything other than maybe joining in the return of Jesus. So we're going to get to that in just a moment. As always, we pray. We pray for our nation. Going to be a rough next seven or eight months as we go through the election and all sorts of stuff to talk about and think about. But I think probably more than anything, we need to pray for our nation, don't we? That a leader will arise, that we will follow him or her, that somebody that God can use will lead us. Amazingly enough, God can use anybody, can't he? And we know that. And that's one of the incredible things about God. We may not have a use for people, but God can use them anyway. It's just the way he is. So we pray that God can use whomever wins the election to draw our nation together. Heavenly Father, again, we ask you for your presence. We know you're with us. Make yourself known to us, Father. Help us to sense your spirit at work in our lives. We pray, Father, that this morning you would teach us from your word, that you would give us hope based on the eternal truths of Jesus, Help us to look beyond current circumstances for the promise that you've given us. We pray this morning for mercy. We ask for forgiveness. Father, we're a sinful people. At our best, we are tainted. And we are seldom at our best. Forgive us for our sin, for our spiritual apathy, for our lack of personal discipline for our unrestrained anger and words. Forgive us, Father. Lord, we ask that you would work in our lives today. Every one of us here has unspoken needs and concerns. We pray for those in our fellowship. We pray especially for Terry and Kathleen Keaton. You know the circumstances. We pray that you'd guide the doctors as they treat her. Give her strength and health. We know that there are others here facing surgery and treatments and major changes in their lives. Be with them too, Father. Provide hope and healing and strength. As always, we pray for our nation, our leaders, that they might receive wisdom and guidance and humility. We pray for our soldiers and first responders. Protect them. Use them to bring peace and justice and safety where they serve. Help them as they serve lives. Father, help us. Every day, every situation shows us 
how weak we can be. Give us strength, Father. Physical endurance, emotional strength, encouragement from your spirit. Father, we are wealthy here in this great nation. We thank you for that. Help us to use what you've given us as a light to the world. Give us a willingness to share. Give us generous spirits. Give us humble hearts. Father, as we study your word, teach us and give us hope that never fails. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anybody like bumper stickers? I like bumper stickers. I will never put one on my car because I hate them, but I like to read other people's bumper stickers. On screen is one, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. You've seen this one. There is this understanding that when the rapture occurs, whenever and whatever that means, that people are going to be driving the cars and are going to be gone. And then on screen is, come the rapture, can I have your car? Of course, they don't realize you're going to be driving. Bumper stickers are, are interesting because they make you laugh, they make you angry, they make you honk your horn or other things. They make you think. Sometimes they give you an opportunity to talk about other things. I was in a parking lot a few months ago and someone pointed to a bumper sticker and it had some letters and a number, uh, some numbers and a letter on it. And it was the number of a highway in Florida where Destin and it runs along the coast. And he, I had been telling him about my vacation. He goes, well, Kevin, if you're going on vacation near Destin, you're going to be on that highway. And I forget what it is. It's 28, I think, but it's one of those. But uh, it was a bumper sticker. And sure enough, he said, you watch. We can walk out in this parking lot. We can find two or three. And before we left that day, we found three. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Bumper stickers give you opportunities to talk. They challenge you. Sometimes they make you laugh. So we're going to talk about the object of those bumper stickers, not the preacher thing, but the rapture thing today. And sure enough, the rapture thing is a Christian thing. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit of what it is and all that. Now, just a, a disclaimer here. I'm not going to answer all your questions about the end times, okay? Because I know some of you have read a lot. Some of you don't ever want to read anything about the end times. I grew up in an era in the 70s when every preacher had a few hellfire sermons based on the rapture and all those kinds of things. And, and for the next 20 years or so, I spent my time, a lot of extra time, reading about the rapture and the mark of the beast and 666 and the tribulation and all those kinds of things. I'm not going to try to deal with all of that today. That's for another Bible series, not sermon. And so if you have a lot of those questions, you can ask me and I'll probably tell you. I'll talk to you later about it. Okay, but there's just a whole lot of information out there, and some of you know this. But we're going to talk today about the very end. In the early church, what did they talk about? When they talked about the end times, and before they had the book of Revelation, before they had the New Testament they carried around, what did preachers talk about? And when was this world going to end? And how is it going to end? And when is God going to do something about those terrible Roman people? Because that was the concern. In the early church, the big concern was, what are we going to do about the Romans? The Romans ruled the world. It was a harsh government, taxed heavily, 70 and 80%, soldiers everywhere, no freedoms, tyranny, etc., the whole thing. So the concern in the church was, when's God going to fix this, and how's he going to do it? So today, we're going to talk a little bit about that and something else that was really bothering the people. So if you would, follow along with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll read verses 13 through 18. 
But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So there's a whole lot of information there. One of the simple truths is, very simply, Jesus will care for people in death. Jesus will care for you when you die, when your spouse dies, when your child dies, when your parent dies, God will care for them. For those that believe in Jesus, who base their faith on the resurrection of Jesus, there is essentially no need for concern. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand everything. Just understand this. Jesus is going to take care of that person. Have you ever lost a loved one that you really care about? I miss my daddy every day. I know that God is taking care of him. Don't have to worry about it. I don't know any of the details. His spirit is with the Father. And beyond that, I don't know that I could explain much. And that's okay. I've learned to live with that. And I think about him every day. My dad's main phrase to me was, slow down, Kev. I would talk too fast. I would walk too fast. I would drive too fast. Thousands of times, and I'm not exaggerating, slow down, Kev. He said that. I can remember him saying it before I was in kindergarten. Slow down, Kev, as I would follow him along on the milk route. Back in those days, we picked up milk in those five-gallon cans. And I remember those days back in the woods of Humansville, Missouri. And I would run ahead of him. He said, slow down, Kev, because there were dogs around the creek, and I didn't know that. Slow down, Kev, because I was going to fall in the creek, and I did. Slow down. So every day I think of my, de my dead father when I'm doing something too fast. Slow down, Kev. And there is great comfort. And the older I get, there is more comfort knowing that even though I don't know all the details about my daddy, God is caring for him. You can live with the same conviction and comfort. You're thinking of someone that you've lost. If that person followed Jesus Christ in their lives, God is caring for them. You don't have to worry about that at all. The pain will fade over time, and there is hope in Jesus. The interesting thing about this passage is there is hope in Jesus because of the resurrection. If you would, look at verses 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So this was the issue that he was writing about. Those people in the early church, they had heard all about the return of Jesus and the glorious things, and they hadn't only an idea because Revelation hadn't been written yet. And they didn't know a lot about the new heavens and the new earth and all those kinds of things that we modern Christians hear about from time to time. What they wanted to know, though, was our friends and family members and church sitters with us that have passed on already, are they going to miss it? 
And this was a legitimate question. Remember, they hadn't been taught. They didn't have scripture they could read. They didn't have the New Testament. The book of Ezekiel was as difficult for them as it, was, as it is to us. And they didn't understand anything. So their question was, Paul, what about those people that have already died? Are they going to miss everything? So Paul answers that simple question, of course not. God loves them. If we believe in the resurrection, and the language he used says, and of course we do, then you need to understand on the basis of that, there is reason for hope. Paul talks about the resurrection as if it's something really important. And it is. Do you know that? The crucifixion was where Jesus did the hard work of salvation. The resurrection was the completion of that task. The crucifixion without the resurrection would have been incomplete. The crucifixion without the resurrection would have been a story that would have been nice. And it wouldn't have proven anything to people on the outside. But the resurrection happened. And everybody knew it. And the Romans tried to squelch it. But the body was gone, and he was seen later on, and the tomb was empty. And so the resurrection, in a very real sense, not only demonstrated God's power over death, it validated who Jesus said he was and what he did on the cross. Now, the reason I say that is because if you are against Christianity, whether or not you are the evil one or someone of another faith, you will say, well, Jesus was a good guy. And you'll hear this. Jesus was a good man a good leader, a prophet, had a lot of good moral teachings. You can't disagree with that, can you? Good guy. If you're not a Christian and you want to discredit the faith, what you do is, is yeah, but he died like everybody else, and he's dead. But the counter to that is, is no. Jesus is no longer dead. He is risen. The fact is, that was the Easter message, wasn't it? Jesus is risen. He is not here. See, that's the crux of the issue. What Jesus did on a cross was a wonderful thing, but without the resurrection, I'm not sure we'd be here to talk about it. But because of the resurrection, it demonstrated God's power over life and sin and death. So whenever you talk about Christianity, don't be hesitant or afraid or embarrassed to talk about the resurrection. Because folks, it's all about the resurrection. Jesus' death on a cross is the absolute work of salvation. And it was completed and validated and proven with the resurrection. Without the resurrection, you could talk about it, but no one would take it very seriously. But the resurrection, that proves Jesus is Lord. Nobody comes back from the dead. Nobody. Nobody comes back from the dead. When you bury your parents, when you bury your child, when you bury your spouse, that life is over. But there's Jesus. And in Jesus, and in his resurrection, there is a foundation for more. And this is what Paul is talking about. And again, if you look about it and you pay attention to the world around you, other religious faiths will always attack the resurrection. They all think Jesus was a good guy, like I said. But that resurrection thing, that's the key. For non-Christians, they can say Jesus was a good guy, fine. But that resurrection thing, that's the key. I wish I could say that Christians are united on this, but many of my friends, pastors, do no, no longer believe in the resurrection. They say it's not real. It's something that conveys an image, but it's not real. And yet Paul wrote this passage, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also is vain. It's all about the resurrection, folks. You cannot separate crucifixion from resurrection. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sins, and in the resurrection, God demonstrated his power. 
over life and sin and death. It's all about the resurrection. So Paul talks about this, and he says in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died, and of course you do, then we believe that God is going to take care of those that have died before us, just like he took care of Jesus. So they're basing all their hope for the dead on Jesus and his resurrection. So that's really important for us to keep in mind. It's all about the resurrection. So he gets that established. And then he says, you do not grieve. We have hope. There's a passage of scripture where Paul describes those that are non-Christians. He says they are without hope in this world. Doesn't mean they're bad people. Doesn't mean they're ignorant people. You and I have hope in death because of the resurrection. We really believe that Jesus died on the cross. We really believe that Jesus came back from the dead. And that's how God expressed his great power. He recreated that human form of Jesus. And we believe that because of that, we can live with the conviction that God's going to do the same, not only for those who have died and gone on before us, but for ourselves. Now, preachers fuss, and Christians have different ideas about what the resurrected forms will be like. My personal opinion is it will be just like the body that Jesus came back to with his resurrected form. He was Jesus. They recognized him, but there were differences. He didn't seem to be limited by time and place and space and all those kinds of things, but he was physical. And in the ascension, his physical form went up to the Father. I think that's what's going to happen to us. I don't understand all of that. I'm not sure exactly about the physical changes, but I think we will always have a physical body. We have a physical body here. We will be buried a physical body, and as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we will be raised a physical body, an imperishable physical body. But see, all that is based upon the fact that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. If Christ is not risen, then our faith is in vain. And I believe that Christ is risen, don't you? Sure. You can say amen, that's all right. You don't realize I just broke a rule for my teaching professor. When I ask you to say amen, I'm manipulating you. I don't know if you realize that, and that's a bad thing. And the, my preaching teacher got really mad about that. But you can say amen anytime you want. That'd be all right. So we have that established. Everything that we believe as Christians is based on the resurrection of Jesus. It is a it's absolutely essential part of our faith. It's not just part of, it is the essence of our faith. And he goes on to answer the question on the next frame in that in Jesus, he will return to take us home with him. Now, if you would, look at verses 15 through 18 again. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord should not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. <coughs> so it's interesting here that he starts this, and in verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now why would Paul say that? Because he wanted those Christians to understand, listen, you have rumors and teachers and all these people teaching all this stuff in the culture, that's fine. But this is the word of the Lord. And this is an aside from the sermon. We always have to remember that we base our faith on biblical teachings, not on what preachers say, 
not on what makes for a good book, not on what we read in a movie, or some talk show host says, those are all fine and well. But the test is, is it biblical? Does it stand up to biblical teachings? So your job is to study scripture. That's right, God expects you to study scripture. He doesn't expect you to come and ask me or Terry Keaton or anybody else. He expects you to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. He says, read your Bible. You know, preachers say that all the time. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Get to know your scripture. And if you don't understand something, talk to somebody else. Pay attention to your Sunday school teacher. Try to stay awake during the sermon, all those kinds of things. And try to learn what scripture teaches. And when you have an idea of what you think the scriptures teach, test it against other scriptures. And that will give you a sense of what the truth is. And when you come to that conclusion, this is what the Bible says, then hang on to that. That is eternal truth that will never change. Now, one of the keys to remember here, and I've used this phrase sometimes, there was a Jewish technique of interpreting scripture called Getzerah Shavah. You don't need to know what that means, other than the fact it means test your, te your understanding of one scripture against other scriptures. So instead of just reading one verse and saying, this is what I believe, read that one verse over and over and over, do your homework, and then compare that with scriptures that talk about the same issue over and over again. And that's how the Jewish people learned to interpret scripture. So they would take not just one verse, but they would take the 30 or 40 verses that deal with the topic and put those all together and test their conclusions because their conclusion had to jive with everything else because scriptures do not contradict in what they teach. So what you do, you study scripture and you become familiar with it and you read the different books and talk to different teachers and hear different sermons and over time, a truth will coalesce that is consistent with all of those things. And that's how you begin to make a sense of what the Bible actually teaches. And after you do that, after you've done the hard work, then you can trust, this is what I believe. So Paul was reminding of them of that because what we want to base our faith on is the word of God, not man's opinions. So you've got to be careful about basing your faith on what one preacher says. Have you ever done that? Well, that's what he said. That's what I believe. Well, he said might be wrong. So always be careful. When someone teaches something, test it against Scripture. Hang on to it if you need to, but test it against Scripture. And if it's wrong, we'll go with Scripture. So Paul says, this is the word of the Lord. He wants them to understand, this isn't just my opinion. This is what God has told me to do. We're going to go through some of the teachings about what he says about Jesus and the rapture. First of all, Jesus shall return and call his people home. So this is the rapture. This is the idea that Jesus is coming back. We talk about the parousia and the coming and all those things. And that's what we're talking about here. And he's going to come back and he's going to take his people home. And he will do it with authority. Now if you would, look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And you can't see that in the English... But when Paul wrote this text, he used a, a term that was right out of the military. And the, probably the best thing we could use today that would give us that idea would be a direct order. So Jesus will come back and with a direct order command the dead to become, come back to life. So Jesus will come and with authority will shout with the voice of the archangel. The trumpet will sound, which means everybody's going to know this. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And they will come around, and they will be there, and Jesus will be in charge, and there won't be any doubt. 
Now, the reason I say that is because sometimes you'll hear Christians say, I thought I'd missed the rapture. And they're joking, of course. But that happened to me one time. Anything like this happened to you? One time, my first church, it was a little bitty church in Kidder, Missouri. And the first day I preached, there were 12 people in the public committee, 12 people in the choir, 12 people in the congregation. Yes, all the same. That was it. So there I was in my first church, proud as a peacock. Man, I was preaching Jesus every day. And I just knew the crowds would come. And they didn't. One day, I got all ready, and it was Wednesday night, middle of the spring planting season. They were all farmers, and I wasn't smart enough to put, to get, put things together yet. We planned a Bible study on Wednesday night, and I showed up at 15 till 7 because starting time was 7 o'clock. I was ready to give them the load of Jesus. 7.15 came and went. 7.30 came and went. I was still sitting on the steps. Now, Kidder is a pretty sleepy little town if you've ever been there. I don't know why you would, but it's a pretty sleepy little place. And for some reason that day, there was not a soul stirring, not even a mouse, literally. That place was deader than a hammer. I was sitting there. I sat till to 8 o'clock, and just for a moment I thought, gosh, did I miss the rapture? You ever done that? Because where were all those Christians? I mean, even the dogs weren't barking. Everybody was gone. I thought, oh, my gosh, I missed it. And then I realized, you know, no, that's not true. But, you know, just for a moment, and I've heard other people say things like that, we don't think we'll miss the rapture, but sometimes we just wonder. So what you need to understand is, based on this, you will not miss the rapture. It hasn't happened in the past. There aren't going to be multiple raptures. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to be busy, and you're not going to sleep through anything like that. When the rapture happens, when Jesus comes back, you're going to know it. With the voice of the archangel, the trumpets of God. And I don't know if that's literal trumpets. doesn't matter. It just means God saying, when I do this, you're going to know it. And I don't know that you're going to have to turn on a TV set to see it either. I don't understand it. Don't have to. When Jesus comes back, everybody's going to know it. And he's going to call his people home. And then he says in verses 15 and 16, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So this was... The answer to the question that they were asking, Paul, what about the dead folk? This is the answer about the dead folk. Jesus will take care of them. They're not going to miss anything. When Jesus comes back and when he calls us back, the dead will rise first and they're going to be taken care of. So this is Paul the pastor calming the people's fears because they were worried. Remember, they hadn't ever been taught They didn't know. There were a lot of superstitions. There were a lot of rumors. There were false teachers, tabloids, all that stuff. They didn't know the Internet, probably the reason they kept their sanity. But, you know, they they had all sorts of sources of information. They didn't know anything. So Paul taught them, listen, Jesus is going to come back, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. God's going to take care of them. So I don't have to worry about my dad or my mom or my sister, or my brother. You don't have to worry about your spouse, or your child, or your parents. Anybody you know that you've loved that has already died, for those that follow Jesus, he's going to take care of them. When Jesus comes back, he'll take care of things. Now, Paul doesn't, in this passage, get into the timing. And I'm not going to pursue that now, because you know this, the preachers have fussed about the timing of when all this is going to happen. They've fought about that for for about 2,000 years, and everybody has a good argument. 
But we do need to understand that this is considered the rapture. Now, one argument against this is, but the rapture doesn't occur in the New Testament, that term rapture. That's right, it doesn't. In the passage we read, he shouts out, and look if you would in verses, I believe it's verse, let's see, verse 17. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. They're going to be caught up in the air. The word in Greek doesn't sound anything like rapture. Now this is how the scriptures were. This is your Bible study lesson for today. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Paul wrote in Greek. The texts were written in Greek and Aramaic. And then a couple of centuries later, as the texts were copied, they were copied into Latin because that was the language of Rome. And Rome was where the money was and where the preachers were. And they're the ones who could afford to have the, the text copied. So for the next eight or 900 years or so, Bibles were written in Latin. Now the word that it was used in this passage in Latin was raptir which is where we get our word rapture. Well then, about 1000 AD, the Catholic Church said, you know, Latin's a great language, but we understand that it used to be in Greek, so they translated the Latin Bible back into Greek, and then it went from Greek to other languages and then to English. So you're not going to find the word rapture anywhere in the Greek or English language, but if you read your Bible in Latin, and some of you may speak Latin, you would find the word raptir, which means rapture gathering up. So yes, they are right. The Bible doesn't say rapture. But when it does say that you'll be caught up in the air, that's exactly what it's talking about. So this is a very biblical concept. And again, this may be just something that preachers fuss about, but you need to understand there are reasons that we use the words that we do. And Christians have used the word rapture, and we understand that is when Jesus comes back and takes us. So he comes back, the dead in Christ are raised first, and then those others that are alive at the time will come. Now, again, in this passage, Paul doesn't address the time. There are those that say that Christians in Paul's day believed and hoped that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. Remember, I referenced earlier the idea that the Roman government was evil and oppressive, and it was. And Christians wanted to be rescued. They wanted God to come and rescue them. They wanted God to punish the bad guys right now, and they wanted God to set up a kingdom on earth right now. And sometimes what you believe gets ahead of Scripture. Scripture didn't teach that, but that's what the early Christians believed in certain cases. Paul doesn't say that. He just says, Jesus is going to come back and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then everybody else will be risen. So we just need to live with that. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. So this is the final act. Whenever the rapture happens, the dead in Christ are raised those that are alive will be raised and caught up in the air, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. So Paul doesn't try to explain all the details. He just says, this is the simple stuff. This is all you need for right now. I listened to my wife have a conversation with my grandkids yesterday, and they asked a question, and I don't remember what the question was, and I thought, oh my gosh, how's she going to fix this one? Because it was one of those questions that had a whole, had a whole lot of adult content, Right? And they were 10 and 8, and they wanted to know all this stuff. And Tammy gave a brilliant, very simple answer. They gave the simple truth. And that's exactly what Paul did in this passage. He didn't answer all the questions. No timelines, no details. Relax. Jesus is coming back. 
He's going to raise those that are dead. And then we're all going to be raised and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with the Lord forever. So that's the simple answer. How's the world going to end? Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take you away. That's it. I don't know if it's going to be Republican or Democrat, nuclear, pestilence. I don't know. Don't have to know. Jesus comes back. He raises us from the dead. And thus we shall forever be with the Lord. And in old-time religion, that was enough. We're pretty smart. We're pretty technical. We want all the answers. So if you want to read the book of Ezekiel and Daniel and this passage and others and go to the book of Revelation and get lost and twirled up, you go right ahead. Good stuff all. Don't get hung up on it. If you can't figure out whether you're pre, post, or all millennial, don't worry about it. Uh, you may not even know those terms. That terms about, and what that means is, and this is one of those preacher stories, you may not appreciate it, but when I was in college, we talked about pre and post and, and all millennial people. Was the rapture going to happen before the thousand year reign or anything like that? And I finally heard a preacher give an answer that satisfied me. He goes, I'm a Maytag millennialist. And I said, what in the world is that? He goes, I don't know what it's going to do, but I know it's all going to come out in the wash and Jesus is Lord. And you know, that was very satisfying to me. Because I think of that often because I still, for the life of me, cannot figure out all of the end time details. And amazingly enough, when Paul wrote a letter, a letter as a pastor to a pastor to a group of people in a church who were struggling, he said, this is all you need to know. Jesus is going to come back. We're all going to live forever with the Father. And that's all you need to know. We're going to spend an eternity with the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Old passage, one of the first ones I memorized, you too probably. This is the essence of faith, crucifixion and resurrection. And based on that, we can trust that God's going to take care of us. Take care of us, take care of our family members, our loved ones. Jesus is in charge, folks. He'll come, he'll give the order, and we will obey and spend an eternity with the Father. So we rejoice in that. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. The invitation is a time for you to respond to this message. If you're a Christian, you can celebrate. There may be decisions you need to make. If you're not Christian, let me challenge you to think about this Jesus, who died for you and came back from the dead, gives you a chance at living forever. Let me encourage you to follow Jesus. If you'd like to make that decision public today, you can. If you'd come forward, would you stand with me, please? Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. My strength from day to day without him I would fall. When I am sad to him I go, no other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my Would you come and lead us? Pray with me, please. 
Depart now with the knowledge that you know what you have to know and be at peace with God. Amen.